from this parable out of Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between his two sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that city, in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to be one of the one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near, he heard the music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked, What do these things mean? And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this is your brother. He was dead and is alive. He was lost and now is found. That's God's word for us today, this morning. You might be seated. Good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. All right, all right, now we're ready to go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for those of you who weren't here last week, uh, my name is Mark Ocker, and um, I've been with the Harvest family here for about 11 years, along with my wife, Marsha, of 41 years. And um, our two wonderful sons and daughters-in-law, six grandkids, um, and I'm enjoying life. Um, I retired this beginning of this summer from uh, George Fox University. 
uh, 17 years of teaching there. And last week, I mentioned to you that uh, I'm a retired professor, so that makes me a has-been. And uh, this year, I just, or this week, I just learned that the uh, George Fox Board had conferred upon me the status of uh, faculty emeritus. And uh, what that means is that now I'm a has-been professor with credentials. So, uh, figure that one out. So, um, you know, as I, there's a little story I have to tell you before I start all of this, because uh, it happened not too long ago. In fact, this morning, early this morning, and I was dreaming. And it was one of those kinds of dreams that you know is completely fictitious, and yet there's an original um, um, feeling about it, there's an original X-Files feeling about it, that, well, maybe there's something there, though, to it. And um, so anyway, what happened was we were sitting over here, I could picture myself sitting over there, and uh, we knew that the time was uh, 10.40 when I was to get up and speak, and it was 10.20, and Marcia turned to me and said, um, I don't see your notes, where are they? <laughs> I thought about that a little bit, and in the dream, the notes were at a uh, cafe coffee shop somewhere, and uh, I knew where that was, so I go jump in the car right away and take off and go to find my notes. And I got to the place, and it was downstairs, and it was all brick walls, and it was kind of dark and so forth. And I had been there the day previous, but there, was, there were my notes sitting on the table where I had been. And so I went over and I picked them up, and I went outside, and nothing was the same as when I drove in. And I looked around, I looked all around, and uh, it was different, because I was sitting up on a high hill by this cafe, looking down upon a vast metropolis. And I don't mean Portland, I mean a vast metropolis. <laughs> there were freeways going everywhere, even bigger than L.A. And I couldn't figure this out. Okay, now how do I get back to harvest? So I thought about that for a little while and started driving around and I thought, well, maybe if I drive down to one of those freeways, I'll see a sign that I recognized. Nope, didn't recognize anything. So as it turns out, I was driving along a road. I went back up the hill toward the cafe and I was driving along a road and it looked like I was driving through Forest Park. You know, at Forest Park where the the houses are on the hillside and then the garages are down into the hillside and about a three foot long driveway, that kind of thing. Well, I was driving along on a road like that and I looked to my right and there was a police car sitting in one of those. And I thought, oh, maybe I could get some help there. So I turned around and I parked there and I looked for uh, the police and they're not in their car. And I find that they're across the street and it's like a veranda there they were sitting on. And there were two policemen there, and they were dressed in farmer's overalls. <laughs> and they each had a badge and a gun. And 
course, things were getting really wild by that time. So I asked him, do you know how I get to the intersection of Cornelius Pass Road and Kutama? He thought for a little bit, and he says, well, you have to go, in order to get to Cornelius Pass, you have to go on Market Street. <laughs> Pardon me? Market Street. Okay. Whatever. How do I get to Market Street? Um, well, I don't know. I really don't know how you get to Market Street from here. But you, you, you have to get to Cornelius Pass Road, and then you'll get to, as he said, Quatama Road. That's how our GPS pronounces it, Quatama. Okay. So anyway, as I wandered around, I was trying to find this place, and I was getting desperate, and I thought, Jerry and, and uh, uh, Drace are going to be really upset with me and so forth. And I got back to the church, and it was 11.15, and most everybody was gone. <laughs> and then... I had the biggest Charlie horse you've ever <laughs> experienced in my right leg, and I woke up, and it was four, in a, four this morning. <laughs> so I spent some time trying to figure this out. Lord, are you trying to say this is the wrong message for today, or what are you doing? <laughs> so anyway, if I act a little goofier than normal, you'll understand that's why. Well, this morning we're going to resume our two-part study of a parable that Jesus used in his teaching. And um, this is by way of review. Last week we talked about the idea that parables are wonderful tools for teaching and learning. And the, the, um, the parables are used for those of us who hear and read um, about great truths, and what they help do is convey the meaning behind those truths, and they're, they're really important uh, things. And Jesus was a great storyteller, and so um, it, it's not a mystery as to why he would have used stories or parables in order to have his hearers understand what he was talking about. Now this parable that Draith read this morning uh, is called the parable of the prodigal son. And that's uh, partially true. It's a real beautiful story, and it's powerful in its message. However, uh, many of the title or content headings in our Bibles were added later on, and so sometimes they're not exactly right on point. And this particular one is about the prodigal son, but when we look at the word prodigal here in just a little bit, you'll see why it seems a little strange. But anyway, it is a story about a father and two sons. Two sons who had issues and a father who had great grace that he extended to his sons. All of Luke 15 needs to be looked at as kind of a whole. Either three stories about one theme or needs to be looked at from the standpoint of one parable one story with three aspects to it. But however you look at it, um, it's, uh, it, it's a theme that runs through it of grace for the lost and found, basically, is what it is. So we have the story of the two sons. The younger one 
rebellious, left home, and the older one who was angry and full of contempt. But there's another character in the story who is really a prodigal too. Now the definition for prodigal is not one who runs away and comes back like a beaten dog begging for great favors. That's not the meaning of the word prodigal. The original meaning of the word prodigal is recklessly spendthrift, lavishly extravagant. Hmm. So where does that put us as far as looking at this, um, this particular parable? You see, the father relents and he gives the inheritance to the younger son as the younger son demands. He wants his inheritance now, not at a later time. And it's recklessly spendthrift in our reasonable way of thinking that the father would have given him his inheritance now, right away. And to top it off, another thing that was extravagantly um, uh, that was extravagant about the father's actions was that he also, when his younger son returned, or he was coming up the road, the father ran to his son to welcome him and hugged him and kissed him and had a great celebration. Doesn't seem right, does it, sometimes? Life seems unfair. And that's how the older son felt. The older son had stayed put. He never left the family farm. Uh, he kept all the rules to, uh, to gain his father's favor. And he ended up having great anger toward his younger brother and toward his father. And that anger turns to contempt. There in the story, toward the end of it, uh, when the, the father was entreating or pleading with the older son to come into the party and celebrate because the wayward, um, his wayward brother had come back. He ended up having great anger and he said he made some statement about that son of yours. He didn't say my brother. My brother who has returned. He said that son of yours. And that's an expression of contempt. And the father tries to reason with this son, but the son refuses to reconcile. But in both of these incidents, the father was extending grace. You've heard the word grace lots of times here, last week and this week and all other weeks. So what is this strange thing called grace? I think the best way to set the stage for that is to begin to look at uh, just a couple of Bible stories of Bible characters. Simon Peter comes to mind, uh, one of the apostles, one of the um, disciples, and he was that brash and that outspoken guy who uh, was really, <laughs> well, he was something else. He proclaimed that there would never be a time when he would depart, when he would leave Jesus. He was always going to be by his side, and he was always going to be learning from him, and so forth. But when the going got tough, 
and Jesus was facing crucifixion, what happened? Simon Peter denied that he even knew him three times. Three times. In the book of John, chapter 8, there's one part of John chapter 8 that's discredited uh, sometimes because it said it was added to the Bible text later on. And that could be true. I don't know. I don't quibble about theological things like that, uh, those arguments. But what I do know is that the particular story that is being referred to is one of those that um, um, could have easily been it could have easily happened because it's the way Jesus did things, the way Jesus responded to people. And the story goes that a woman was brought to Jesus who had, uh, she had committed adultery and she was caught in adultery and they were about to stone her to death. And of course, we know that still happens today in some countries of the world, some parts of the world. And like happens uh, in the world today, um, it's, it's, a, it's a dreadful thing. But Jesus, we get the account that he um, kneeled down and he was writing in the sand. Now there have been whole books written about what he wrote in the sand and everything else. Who knows what he was writing? I don't know. But his response was, if any of you in the crowd never sins, you're without sin, go ahead and pick up the first stone. The crowd dispersed. So Jesus turned to the woman and asked her where her accusers got to and who was condemning her. And she said, no one, Lord. And he said, I don't condemn you either. Go and don't sin again. And God's grace shows up again. The most poignant expression of grace came with Jesus on the cross dying the most agonizing of deaths crucifixion and here were people down below taunting him making fun of him calling him king of the Jews and what does he say father forgive them because they don't know what they're doing now is that grace or what And as the old song goes, uh, 10,000 angels, maybe you've heard that. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world. He could have just spoken it, and those people would have been toast. But he didn't. One of the biggest scoundrels in the Bible was uh, Saul. We know of as Paul, or the Apostle Paul. And in, in his early days, he was meaner than a junkyard dog. I mean, he really was. He set Christians up to be 
to be persecuted and killed. He was in training to be a Pharisee. And um, the book of Acts tells a lot about that. And as we know, he was miraculously changed by God's grace through Christ when Jesus revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus when Paul was on his way. There was this um, vision that Paul had of Jesus asking the question, Saul, why do you persecute me? But God extended his grace to Paul. So really, what is grace? And we're looking at the kind of grace that the Father expressed to the Son in this parable. Well, there have been thousands of books, literally thousands of books written on the term grace. And you can find all kinds of theological stances, and you can find lists that are short lists and long lists and medium lists and as to what grace is and what grace is not. But I would suggest three things from this particular parable. One is unmerited favor. That's obvious. Unmerited favor. It seemed like there was absolutely no reason to show favor. The younger son was disrespectful to the father, demanded his, his portion of the inheritance, uh, went off, spent it on prostitutes, and it says reckless living. It was like spitting in the father's face. And the older son, um, he wouldn't welcome his younger brother back, the wayward brother. He didn't want to do that. And so it, there are times when it seems like it absolutely doesn't do any good to show unmerited favor. Why would we do that? There are many stories that we can read about World War II, for instance, uh, and maybe you've read about some of those where enemies meet each other and the soldiers are standing there and one gets the drop on the other and he's pointing his loaded rifle at his enemy and he pauses. And he looks in that enemy's eyes and he sees a wife and babies and a family and he puts the gun away and lets the guy go free. That's grace. That's unmerited favor. And unmerited favor is not culturally driven. It's not culturally determined. It's determined by the Word of God. Because if it were culturally driven, it would be, it would be akin to permissiveness is what it amounts to. Okay, it's fine. Let it go. There's no need for civil authorities or anything else. But that's not what it means. But we especially see it in political correctness and what has been terribly misunderstood as diversity today. Those things aren't grace. 
Aside from being unmerited favor, grace is welcoming as well. An attitude of, I'm so overjoyed that you came home. And you could sense that from the father. He was so overjoyed that his wayward son had come home. And you can almost picture him saying to the, to the younger son, I, I don't condone what you did. Your attitude stinks, but I love you and I always will. It's like he's made a commitment of there's nothing you can ever do or say that will make me stop loving you. That's grace. And thirdly, besides unmerited favor and welcoming, grace in all circumstances really triggers um, joy and celebration. And we see that in the parable too. We see the celebration coming along. Sometimes I wonder if we Christians celebrate enough. Do we let uh, pure joy flow out of us because of of who, <clears throat> who God is? Are we grateful for what He does? Are we grateful for His people? Do we love His people? Do we see that each um, extension of grace that He gives to us is a trigger for praise? I think of the song, uh, you know, I'm breathing in your grace, breathing out your praise. We breathe in the, the grace of God and it actually comes out of our, uh, not only our breath but our pores. Praise to Him. It should be a part of our worldview, a part of our being, a part of who we are. Many of you know Marsha and I lived in Alaska for uh, 14 years. And we had ministry opportunities um, among Inupak or Eskimo uh, folks from northwestern Alaska. And we were always impressed about even some of the small graces of God were present among the Christians there. We, we really enjoyed that. For instance, when uh, someone came from out of town, it was seen as a grace of God and a... a uh, Uh, a cause for welcoming and celebration. Even when some of the characters had a uh, not-so-honoring-God lifestyle. (laughs) And after leaving the Arctic region of Alaska, we lived in Anchorage for about five years. And one of those years, I served as an interim pastor for the Anchorage Native Church. And while we were there, one Sunday morning, Nora and two of her daughters came to church. She lived in a town about 40 miles north of Anchorage, and because of her circumstances, uh, she didn't get to Anchorage very often. She was also part of a family that had uh, quite a lot of sin struggles, you might call it, dealing with, dealing with sin. 
Since they were in town, we asked them if they'd like to come to Sunday dinner at our little townhouse in Anchorage. And it was little. It was cozy for the four of us. Um, Marcia and, and I and our sons. So we asked them if they would come to Sunday dinner, and they said, sure, they would come. And after the service, people started coming up to us asking what they could bring or letting us know what they could bring. And we thought, oh, okay. Um, you see, Thomas's had, uh, had relatives and friends who were glad they had, quote, come home. They wanted to leave their sin behind. They wanted to be a part of the family. And so God brought Nora and the daughters home, and there was a great celebration, and it was at our house. And we ended up, besides the four of us in our house, there were 21 people <laughs> showed up for Sunday dinner. We already had something small in the crock pot, but, uh, but it was quite a festive mood as... Uh, as food was prepared and people visited with one another and when it was time to eat, people sat at the dining room table, they sat at the breakfast bar, they sat on the living room floor, they sat on the kitchen floor, they sat in the hallway floor. And no one felt like they had to be something they were not. And Marcia and I didn't, you know, have to feel badly because we didn't have a place for everybody at the table. The only unhappy one was our cat, and uh, <laughs> she went and slept under the boys' bunk bed all day long. But here was unfettered celebration, unfettered joy, unrestrained joy. And why? Because God had shown his grace in bringing loved ones home, back to the fold again, back to the family of believers. So as we ponder the parable, don't you like that, ponder the parable? So as we ponder the parable, um, we can think uh, about a couple of things. The younger son did indeed get his right mind about him. We talked about that last week. He got his right mind about him. And he returned home. And he had this speech all prepared uh, of, of repentance and so forth that he was going to give his father, and he didn't even have a chance to give that right away because the father came. He saw him down coming up the road, the dusty road, and he came, just ran like crazy toward him and hugged him and kissed him. And there was celebration. The older son got angry. He was full of contempt. He was the rule keeper, the recorder of wrongs. He probably had a little book that he kept all of those wrongs that everybody had done to him through life. He really wasn't into this unmerited favor bit. You have to earn your way home. And his younger brother didn't do that. He was extended full grace by the father. And the older son didn't see a, see a need to welcome or celebrate. You see, in this parable, Jesus was, um, as he told this story, was opening a way of grace for all people to become family members of God. And this included the Gentiles, 
the non-Jews. And the Pharisees didn't like that. That's what this issue was about that prompted Jesus to, to tell the parable. You know, the, the Pharisees were literally having a cow over the fact that Jesus was uh, inviting sinners in and he was talking to them and he was eating with them. And the Pharisees were angry. Like the older, older brother was angry about how God extended his grace. So as we think about concluding this morning, we ponder the parable. What's in this story that applies to you, to me? What's there? First, I would suggest if you're a Christian, you could ask, do I extend unmerited favor, a welcoming attitude? and the celebration of joy to others. Do I extend grace? Do I practice that as a, a, a lifestyle? Is it a worldview? Is it built into me? Because I'm so thoroughly infused with the love of God that I freely give grace. I ask myself that question a lot. And I understand that if I don't show that favor and welcome and celebration, I can ask God for it, and he'll provide it through his grace. Or, maybe you know in your heart at some time in your life you gave your life to God, and life circumstances got in the way. <laughs> the face of God was clouded. Maybe there was illness, there was job loss, there was death in the family. Who knows? And you lost your way. What then? The same is true. You can ask God to take you in to his family. Yes, we need to recognize our sin, but God will, in his great grace, take us back. He'll, he'll welcome us home, and he'll celebrate. And thirdly, I don't know if, um, if you're here today, but if you've never considered that God wants you to come to him just as you are, and you can say, well, how can that be? Don't I have to clean up first? Don't I have to get good? Don't I have to be good? And so forth. I've got big sins. I've got little sins. I've got bad attitudes. I've got addictions. I've got uh, abusive behavior. I'm quick to anger. I'm not forgiving. The list can go on and on with thousands of things. When the fact is, he wants to run to you. And your part of all of this is no faking. Just stand before him. Trust him to fill you with a peace that uh, 
you've never experienced before and serve him. And all of this comes because of his grace. After uh, I pray, Drath is going to lead the worship team um, in a song that makes me emotional every time I hear the words. They remind me that I'm welcome in God's family, and you are too. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much today for your, your grace. You've you just have unlimited grace, unlimited mercy, unlimited love. And it's so hard to believe that even though we don't earn it, even though we don't deserve it, you still extend your grace because you love us so much. And you proved that. when Jesus went to the cross. Father, help us, regardless of whatever condition we're in, whether we're right with you, whether we're um, wayward, whether we've never considered being in your family. Lord, please extend that grace even more and love us in ways that we never dreamed. And we would be careful to give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. So